On this episode of Star Trek Universe Podcast, Sarah and Amanda have a really nice house, and I want it. Sorry, we're reviewing Light and Shadows, Discovery 207, right after this. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Star Trek Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. My name is Sarah and Amanda's house. I mean, Dave. David C. Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's dive right into this episode. We, we both have a limited recording time today, so let's just get into it. Give us that sweet, sweet summary, my man. <laughs> that sweet, dirty CBS All Access summary. Yeah. Burnham goes to Vulcan in search of Spock, where she unearths, uns- <laughs> unearths surprising family secrets. And researching what is left of the Red Angel's signal over Kaminar, Pike and Tyler end up in battle with time itself. Giorgio has a few tricks up her sleeve for Leland and Section 31. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I, I did too. I, I do feel like this episode should have been called something else. Something beginning with time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. That was probably my favorite little bit that ran through the episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoyed all of the stuff that was happening on Discovery, and it made me all the more... I feel like this is one of the first episodes that's... Fo- Pike has been our protagonist. Right. Um, every other episode, Pike has been the captain, and we've really been focused on another character. In this, mm-hmm. Pike was our main protagonist of this episode. I, 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 It made me love him all the more, and I just want a Pike show so bad. I, I wouldn't kick a Pike show out of bed. Yeah. I, I, or I want him to stick around somehow. I, I would like him not to leave. He's been su- such a fun character. But I felt the same way about Lorca, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, I miss Lorca every day. <laughs> every day. Um, the, the Burnham storyline was a little more, uh, I, I could have taken it or leave it. <laughs> Left it. It didn't, I don't know. I didn't love it. I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Good. I'm glad. That was like the meat of what I talked about in my notes. Um, oh, interesting. I mean, it wasn't just the Michael Burnham storyline. It was everything with Spock, everything with Amanda and Sarek. Um, we're, we're not getting a lot of Spock right now. Like, we yeah, finally we, have Spock, but he's, you know, kind of out of it. I feel like they're like slowly settling us into Spock. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, like, like if we, we've heard about Spock all season and seen him as a child and da, 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 da. And now it's like, and now you see him crazy. Like, <laughs> they're like <laughs> getting us used to, it's like a, like a frog in, in boiling water, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like they're slowly getting us used to, um, this Spock. So we, we might accept him a little more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen some, uh, some throwback. From the not throwback, some backlash <laughs> from the fans. Uh, wow, what did you think of Spock be- basically being dyslexic? Um, you know, I guess I was I was curious if there's a precedent for that in any way. I don't think so. Like, I mean, obviously, there's no, uh, you know, uh, being dyslexic doesn't mean you can't be brilliant. Sure, and I love that idea that. There was something like that, that there was something else that he had to go through when he was a kid. And what I really love is that it was Amanda's fault in her mind. Another human flaw to sully his Vulcan blood. I really enjoyed that. The, the thing that sort of bothers me about it is that I like the fact that Spock just being a human was his flaw. 
you mm-hmm. know, and him being raised on Vulcan with all these Vulcans making fun of him for just being a human, mm-hmm. um, giving him that extra special need, um, while, you know, is very human and it's, 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 it's truth, truth to that. I almost, it almost makes some of the like, it gives them an extra reason that I don't know if they needed. Like him just being human. I feel like they could have had all these same conversations, except mate, mate, just, just have it about him being a human on Vulcan, you know, or half part, half human, you know. Yeah. I think it just adds an extra little layer to Sarek and Spock's relationship that it was, it felt like it was always there. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel out of sorts. It just feels like one more little. One more little jab into Sarek's side. Yeah, it doesn't feel out of sorts to me. I just don't know that I needed it. This whole episode, I feel like, would have functioned just as well. I almost felt like the only reason they included the dyslexia thing was the six-digit number being backwards, which um, I, I'm, I'm kind of bothered by the six-digit number thing in general. <laughs> Why's that? My main qualm with it is she called out to the database, Starfleet database, and said... Here's a six-digit number. Give me all the information you have about this six-digit number. Oh yeah, that 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 was weird. And it came up with one answer. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's <laughs> in all of Starfleet. That six-digit number has been used for this one thing. <laughs> that yeah, was, that was a little weird. That was dumb. <laughs> it should have been like, here are some you know possible answers like google right now if i look up that six digit number google will give me way more options yeah i meant to go back and actually listen to like her exact wording and and just hope like hell that something was in there that goes oh okay i didn't write her wording down but i did rewind it to listen and i don't think there was anything in there it was just like literally uh, database, look up this number and give me everything you have. <laughs> and it yeah. was like, Talos 4. It's like, uh, it's, that's dumb. That's real dumb. Well, it, it didn't, it didn't do Talos 4 because it, it didn't know what that number was. She, or was it, that's what did she say that said. after it was, she, did she figure out, was that after she figured out that it was backwards? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So she gives the six digit number to the computer. Uh, in, and she, and she even says these six digits in this order, as if like that cracks the code, which mm-hmm. I mean, it would have given her the right, you know, the right number, but it still wouldn't have given her a specific thing. Like if you don't, there's just so many things that six digit number has been used for even now, much less 400 years from now or whatever. Mm-hmm. But 300 years from now, I don't know where we are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been, uh, this would have been what twenty twenty two um, sixty something. Okay, so it's two hundred years. But still, that 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 six digit number. It should have been like, oh, here's like, f- f- here's fifty options, and it could say like, here's the most relevant information or something like that. But here's a mm-hmm. six digit number. Search the Federation database and come up with one answer is dumb. Right. Um, I agree. That, that's so. That's that's a little much. And, and, and then, and I kind of felt like they included the dyslexia thing only as a way of uh, getting at that. I felt like almost all the conversations they have about their relationship, about him feeling um, ostracized, all of that could have just been because he was half human, which already existed. So I guess I have a problem with that, unless they go forward and try to do more with it, maybe. But I kind of hmm. feel like they're going to drop it after this, which I don't know. <laughs> maybe they will, maybe they won't. I, oh. you know, I. Also, he, he apparently is still suffering from it. So should we have, <laughs> you know, how they often take a small thing from, uh, from the original series or whatever and drop it into this and blow it out to a bigger idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the Alice in Wonderland thing they just did. Um, <laughs> I, w- it makes me wonder if, um, like on some episode of Star Trek, Spock just said two numbers backwards as, and it was like a production mistake and they're like, ha, we got something. <laughs> Oh, it'd be really funny if everyone's complaining and they go, "Oh, but in episode seventy-eight, Kirk says this and Spock says the numbers inverted backwards (laughs) back Mm -hmm. to him." Oh man! Um, But I really liked all the discovery stuff. So it's funny that me and you kind of focused in on different things on this episode. 
Yeah, I mean, I loved all the moments between Spock and Burnham's children. I thought those were nice little, like, character bonding moments. Dude, I loved Amanda standing up to Sarek. Oh, I loved Amanda standing up to Sarek. That was cool. Yeah, like, telling him that, you know, she has not abused his authority because she does not live under it. Oh, yeah, that's one of my quotes. I don't live under your authority. I'm your wife and your partner. Try again, husband. The that try, was fantastic. The try again husband is my favorite part because it's it's obvious that they've had these sorts of arguments their entire marriage where mm-hmm. he's coming at her with logic and she's got to be to him the most frustrating wife because she challenges him. She's not challenging him with logic. She's challenging him with like her emotions and the situation and like she's not like you are wrong because your logic is flawed. She's like Listen, I'm me. I don't know. She's just being so herself. She's in herself there, and I just love it. I, I love. I love the idea that they've had our they, them having sort of Kirk Spock type or McCoy Spock type arguments their entire marriage. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I don't know this. It felt like it was heavily informed and switched by um, the original series episode Journey to Babel, where Sarek and Amanda make their first appearance, because Amanda is just. In that episode, Amanda is just unafraid of just slapping the shit out of Spock for being an ass and not saving his dad. And we've got the opposite here, where she's just like, you are an asshole. We are saving your son. Well, you know he did not do this. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, that's that's. it's interesting that she's having to fight against the sort of cold logic of her loved ones so that they will get out of the, get out of themselves and like go do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, she is sick of putting up these stubborn-ass Falcons, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember this actress's name, but she does a fantastic job of channeling Amanda, as far awesome. as I'm concerned. Still, still iffy on Sarek. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen, uh, any Amanda stuff. Yeah, speaking of Sarek, you know, I know that Vulcans have emotions and that they mm-hmm. are controlling them because if without control they go nuts or whatever they can't con- mm-hmm. you know but i still i know it's not a problem i know spock shows emotion in the original series all of that but to me like a pure-blooded vulcan like Sarek would have a pretty good control over his emotions and mm-hmm. and i just feel like they they're trying they put so much emotion into Sarek. well it it <laughs> It depends on, on matters of, uh, of of family and and whatnot. Like Sarek has always had emotional responses when it comes to Spock. Um, he's always been stoic and stubborn, and he puts up a good front on the original series, much more so than uh, Mark Leonard did a very a, a great job of playing uh, of playing that line. And James Frain always just seems like he's on the on the edge of emotion. Yeah, he does. And that, um, that I think, is what bothers me about his performance. Because I'd like to see, like, a knowledge that he loves his son and daughter and wife, but his religion is keeping him from showing it. Mm-hmm. Instead, I just feel like he's always about to cry. Yeah, or or smirk or something. Like, Yeah, exactly. Um, um, he says he, in this episode, he says, I'm not prepared to lose both, both of my children on the same day, which admittedly is an, um, like, so the problem with that statement isn't that he, he does, he almost cries when he says it. Yeah. But not only does he almost cry, but I don't think a Vulcan would say that because um, to not hmm. be prepared, just the idea of not being prepared for your children to die or to lose your children. That is an emotion. Like, I don't think that the Sarek we know, even if he had all that emotion under, under that deep, like he, mm-hmm. his religion would not allow him to say that because he's acknowledging that he is not emotionally prepared. Like, he doesn't say emotionally, but that's what that means. I'm not I, prepared. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you here, and I would direct you to Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, when Mark Leonard's Sarek shows up at Kirk's apartment. And is borderline frantic for a Vulcan. Like, he's shaking a little bit. Like, there's a quiver in his voice. He's aggravated with Kirk because he doesn't understand why Kirk wouldn't have gone back to Vulcan to, to, uh, bring his, his Spock's Katra home. Um, until, of course, he, he does the Vulcan mind meld and realizes, oh, you couldn't touch him. 
he didn't give it to you. But he was frantic. He's passionate. Like he trusted you. How could you not do that? You know? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that he hasn't shown emotion to me. All of that, that you just said though, and I, I admittedly haven't seen that scene in a long, long time. Uh, but all the stuff you just said to me sounds like he, there's a legitimate problem and he is agitated because he is hurried and the emotions are there, but he's not necessarily saying anything emotional. He's saying, this was your duty. Mm. You didn't do this thing. And I, he, he may be flipping out on the inside and that may be spilling over. So I don't even really have a, I don't have a problem with the, the, the emotional quiver necessarily in Sarek's mm-hmm. voice, although it bothers me a little bit. I, what I have a problem with is him just acknowledging that like, I, I guess maybe that's the thing is like he realizes his emotions for his children are so strong that if he, if he would lose himself, if he were to lose both his children. I think I think that is uh, that might be true, but you know, Sarek has that disease anyway, and I don't know how far back it would have started to creep in, but um, that's I think that's what he died of in Next Generation. Hmm. He had that disease that made him uh, lose control of his emotions. Yeah, but usually he was very stoic and in control, and uh, but when it even there's even a line something about. not being able to trust himself when it comes to matters of his son, something, okay. something like that. I can't remember exactly what that, what, what, where that is, or what well, that, that, what that line was. But okay. I apologize. D- talking, talking it through, it doesn't bother me as much because if that's the thing, is that like he believes wholeheartedly that he should hold on to the Vulcan ideals, and then he knows that he has a hard time with that when it comes to his children. Then I can understand. That maybe that is something he would say. It just seems like he was always better at at least attempting um, to be emotionless. Like that's the whole idea. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, and I'd love to go back and look. But I, and I'm wondering, Spock and, and Sarek were supposed to be like estranged, uh, according to Journey to Babel. So they they should have been estranged for like something like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years, something like that. Um, I really want to be able to go back and look at that before we did this show, but I, I didn't have time. Right. Um, so I'm wondering, like, it, does this, does it count? Like, can you be estranged if one of you's kind of nuts and. Well, you can be estranged and have, and still see each other. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. But estranged just I, means you're going to have a bad relationship, which we know they did before oh, absolutely. All of this. They have, because they, Spock hasn't talked to Burnham or Sarek in a long time. Mm-hmm. And and Spock went against Sarek's wishes and joined Starfleet instead of the Vulcan Science Academy. Yeah. And that's that's caused a, a huge rift in their relationship. And uh let's see, that's that's I don't know, that's one of those things that I love about their their characters is like uh in, in Journey to Babel, like after they're so stubborn, such assholes, like Spock was gonna let his dad die. Like his father is just like not, you know, gonna show him any emotion or any love or whatever. And Amanda's just pissed off about it. Finally, she gets them to do the right thing. And at the end, there's this interchange where it's like, emotional, isn't she? Yeah, she has always been that way. Indeed. Why did you marry her? At the time, it seemed the logical thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just such assholes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the beauty of the whole idea of the Vulcans is just like, mm-hmm. I, I really love seeing a character that we really see that is not a human. They like really don't think like us. And that's, that, that's my biggest problem with all these, uh, interpret, newer interpretations and, and the old interpretations too. They weren't always careful about it then either. It's not like they were perfect and this is bad. Um, right. It's just that like, I really wish they were a little more respectful of the idea that these are different, different, a different race of people that think very differently. Um, I feel like they are so want to tell a human story, like the producers of these shows, mm-hmm. that they just put all this humanity on these characters so that they will connect with them. But the whole idea to me is that they're novel. They're interesting because they're different. And when they think about things differently. Uh, so it, it, yeah. that's that's my whole issue with, with them being more emotional. It just feels like the producers are throwing out the window when they need to. Uh, it, the idea it doesn't... Of, and then that goes for the original series all the way through. So it's not like inconsistency. It's not like a canon issue for me. It's just like, 
I kind of, um, it's actually funny. Uh, the Orville, I know you haven't watched that still, right? Yeah. No, I haven't. Um, they have a character named Isaac on the Orville who is mm-hmm. a, uh, an android basically. Mm-hmm. And what I love about him is that he's not trying to be a human. Yeah. He has no desire to be a human. Um, mm-hmm. he's like, he's just, a a robot that thinks completely differently than you or I think. And it's not like, a, like a data. Yes. He thinks differently than you and I, da, 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 but he's, he's like striving to be a human. And, and in many ways, uh, Spock is looking to resolve his humanity with his Vulcan nature. Um, right. And I, I, I think back, that is one thing that's kind of cool about Voyager as much as I don't like Voyager is that we do get the character of Tuvok, um, who, is just a Vulcan. Like he's not a Vulcan half, half Vulcan, half human. Right. We get, a, we get an actual character that we actually get to see for seven seasons that is a Vulcan and mm-hmm. lives by Vulcan, you know, rules. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of a neat thing. I don't know that they ever did enough with him though. I feel like he was kind of relegated to a B character, but. Well, anything that they could have given him, they pretty much gave to seven of nine or the doctor. That's true. So. That's true. Well, see, no, that's the thing. Seven of Nine and the Doctor are what I'm talking about. They're the Datas or the Spocks where they're like mm-hmm. struggling between humanity and what they were born as or, or, or what they, what they, their, their current programming, fighting against it and trying to become more human. And yeah. that, that's what I like about the idea of a Tuvok on a show is that he's not trying to do that. He never mm-hmm. really tried. But that, because of that, they just never gave him anything interesting to do on the show. It seems like uh, they, very rarely was he the focus of an episode, and I would have loved yeah. to them to dive in and like, what is it really like to be a Vulcan? Like, what is what is it like from their perspective? You know? Yeah, I, I don't think they went. They there were a couple episodes that had come to mind, but I don't remember them really going into Tuvok too much. What's What's funny is I I do tend to think that fans get this idea in their head of what a Vulcan is. Sure. And get angry like this. The, the, the uh, Voyager had a Vulcan that was too emotional. Enterprise now has a Vulcan that's too emotional. And I would direct them back to, you know, different Vulcans throughout from the original series uh, onward. And the pro- the real problem is we don't have much access to the Vulcan uh, culture. Right. Except through Spock and then subsequently Sarek. And the real problem is none of those actors are Leonard Nimoy or Mark Leonard. And that's just the problem. Like, right. they're so awesome. And they're so, like, they have the specific thing that they do. And it makes sense because, you know, they're father and son. And I think they kind of, Sarah, uh, Mark Leonard maybe even tried to inform his uh, performance based on Leonard Nimoy's. But, I don't think most Vul- like most people play Vulcans the same way. Like they try to do some sort of mimicry of of, of Nimoy, and it just they're just not getting it somehow. Mm. You know, so I think to me, like all Vulcans are just kind of like whatever. Well, we also we have a, we have a, our, <laughs> our, most of our picture of what a Vulcan is is just how they relate to humans because mm-hmm. every Vulcan we've seen has just at least every Vulcan we've seen in a regular basis has just been a. a a single Vulcan living on a crew full of humans and mm-hmm. the unique challenges that come with those butting up against each other. Um, but it, like, I would be interested in like a, a, a mini series or something that was just like a Vulcan science vessel doing Vulcan things and what kind of, cause that we know that the Vulcans still have disagreements. We know that there's like um, this like group of terrorists that tried to kill Sarek uh, last season, like all that stuff to me is interesting. The idea that these people have lived by complete logic, but they still disagree or they're trying mm-hmm. to live by the tenets of logic, but they disagree on where that logic leads them. Um, I don't know. That, it's, it's all interesting. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to know more about how the Vulcan uh, community is separate from humans works. Yeah. You know, what comes to mind is that family guy bit the, the British drive by. Where they just roll down the window and the guy yells out, I respectfully disagree. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was. It's good. Um, yeah, it, does, it just feels like that would, that would be a show that would just be like uh, polite disagreement. <laughs> Unless there is like an extremist who decides to blow himself up. Yeah. 
That's what happens when you bottle your emotions, man. <laughs> I guess so. Well, see, the thing is that that guy, you will go back and watch that guy blow himself up. He's not emotional about it at all. You know, he's. Oh yeah, it, no. it, I don't think it is emotion. I think he's like led himself to a place. Well, and I think that's always been the undercurrent in Star Trek is that Vulcans think they're not making emotional decisions, but they often are. I think I think a truly enlightened Vulcan would realize that the the reason that they followed the rules of Surak was because their emotions were ran so deep and they were so hot blooded. That they were about to destroy themselves, you know what I mean, as a, as yeah. a, like a species and as a culture, and that's why they they turned to logic. So, yeah. they, and, and in fact, they're probably way more emotional than human beings. That often, well, see, that's the thing that also in, interests me about that whole idea is we've never seen that. That's their that's their religion. That's their lore. Mm-hmm. Like it is very possible they were just similar to humanity. And that over the, whoever came up with the, what is the Vulcan religion called? I keep wanting to say it, and I'm just not thinking of it. Eidic? Uh, uh, Eidic. Uh, it's not really a religion, it's just, well, you know, it's, they're... I would, I'd call it a religion. Uh, yeah, well, there's Eidic, which is infinite diversity, infinite combinations, but that's not really the logic no, thing. No, no, and no. And I don't no. remember what the... I just know the teachings of Surak is how I've always heard of it. Uh, uh, how yeah, I know the it. teachings of Surak. Maybe that's, maybe that's what I'm trying to think of. There's an offshoot species that they thought had died out or whatever that was on Next Generation that were still using psychic, psychic-based psychic weapons. Like, the Vulcans had psychic-based weapons. Well, and that's you, the other thing. Their, their minds are very powerful with their, uh, you know, telekinetic and telepathic, or I guess telepathic abilities, uh, not telekinetic. Uh, so, so I guess if you have any emotion and you have the ability to kill people with your minds, mm-hmm. um, that that could be a problem. A little bit. Um, okay. So I, I, yeah, I'm totally, totally interested, uh, in all of that stuff. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, um, the relationship stuff in, in that side of the episode, but I just, mm-hmm. I was pretty annoyed at the whole six digits and just the, the like, I felt like, gotcha. plot, felt like there were plot holes to me. And I just kind of wanted to get back to the adventure storyline going on, on the discovery, mm-hmm. which is what I would like to get into now. Uh, sure. Is so. I'm sorry, I detoured you. No, no, no. We 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 just discussed the one half of the episode, and now let's get into the other half of the episode. Um, I I just had it so much fun with all the time problems they were having. I really enjoyed Stamets being like a time badass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of my favorite moments in this episode was just when there's Pike. <laughs> it actually made me laugh a lot. Pike Stamets and. Ash Tyler are on the shuttle and they're all trying to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And Pike is doing what he does best, which is command and trust his people before Stamets even has the, the calculation ready. He has already set the thing to explode. (laughs) Yeah. Which, which was probably a little premature, but he knew he had to get, get out of there. He knew he had to shut down that, uh, like, he was just making the hard decisions just all in that moment. So it's like him mm-hmm. making hard decisions, trusting his people, Stamets doing what he does best, which was, um, like calculating and doing, and doing the thing that he'd been trusted to do. And he's, so they're all three doing the, he, they're doing the thing. And then you look over to Ash Tyler, the Klingon blooded, like, <laughs> security officer and he's just banging on the probe with a wrench (laughs) (laughs) i love that they're all three like trying to solve the problem in their own ways and like functioning the way they are supposed to on the crew but Uh that manifested itself as ash tyler just banging with a wrench or something whatever he's holding just a pipe he's just banging on the probe (laughs) that was fun cracked me up (laughs) So what do you what do you, who do you think it is that's like mo- uh, modifying their probe to come well, back and attack the them from five hundred years in the future? Who in the future? Five hundred years in the future? Who needs a, a probe to do all of this? Like that's insane that they use their own probe. Like if they have the ability to send things forward and backwards, they could have just sent some of their modern technology. But instead, they intercepted a probe and sent it back to them, which is weird. Unless mm-hmm. you're the unless you're the Borg, 
Nah, I don't know, man. That didn't, mm-hmm. that didn't look like some Borg stuff. That was no, it that doesn't. Was something else. It doesn't look like twenty fourth century Borg stuff, right? Twenty third yeah. century Borg stuff, but it could well look like twenty seventh century Borg technology. Um, and and, and, it rem- and the, the, I think the reason Borg come to mind is it also reminded me a lot of the the, the technology that was in there. Reminded and, and the, all the even all the coloring and those arms. It reminded me a lot of the Matrix. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And those, uh, you know, cybernetic or whatever, uh, and not, they're not androids. They're, uh, whatever, the artificial life in the matrix. So, like, I was just yeah. like, man, could this be what the Borg eventually, like, could that be like what Borg technology looks like in the 27th century? Yeah. Wouldn't it be like the 28th century? Uh, I thought you just said they were, yeah, the 28th. So they're in the 22, so 2700s. Yeah. So it'd be the 28th century. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not the furthest we've seen in Star Trek. We've seen no. the 29th century. I think yeah. I want to say the 30th or 34th or something. I don't yeah, know. I don't yeah. remember where. After um, Discovery would be the 33rd if Kraft was 10,000 years in the future. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, who who would who would intercept a probe, send it back that way? And who the, the only thing that isn't much of a mystery to me, at least... I think, I think this is why they're wanting the information. I don't think they're looking for a specific piece of information. I may be wrong. They might be looking for a specific piece of information, but I think they're looking for general information about a snapshot of what's happening right then, because mm-hmm. I think they're trying to get, they're trying to change things in the past. We're getting a Terminator storyline is what I think we're getting. Mm. I think we're okay. getting someone in the future trying to affect things in the past in such a way that it leads to whatever result they want. And I think we might be getting, you know, in this episode, we they talked about this being a malevolent force sending this probe back. But last episode, they were talking about uh, the Red Angel is probably a benevolent force. At least Pike mm-hmm. felt that way. It could just be two different forces. Could be. It could be someone from the future tracking the Red Angel. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the Red Angel could be someone who is, um, wasn't the 29th century was when those future cops were coming back into Enterprise. Is that right? Um, I think that was Voyager. Oh, you're right. You're, you're totally right. And then uh, there was, there were, uh, Daniels was from a further point, but I don't remember what, that's what I was trying to remember earlier is what, what, Century he was from. Oh, okay. See, I thought he was 29th. Um, okay. So, what, but that's not that, if he's from, well, so what, what is 29th then? Is 29th when we saw the, the, like, universe destroyed or whatever in Voyager? Um, I think the 29th century is like the, the temporal fleet. Yeah, that's, so that's what I'm getting at. That's not that far off from 500 years in the future. I don't know if, uh, they last 100 years or whatever, but it's very possible mm-hmm. this is like the beginnings of the temporal fleet or but, some know, the, form of it. If you look at, I was thinking about this the other day, because if you look at DS9, the, the trials and tribulations episode, temporal investigations seems a lot like section 31. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Section 31 doesn't become the temporal fleet. Hmm. Yeah. No, it, it definitely seems like the kind of responsibilities that would be relegated to Section 31. Because and, um, time travel yeah. is just too insane to mess with. Because everything you do, butterfly effect is is real. Yeah. I, I don't... I, I don't... Uh, I don't think that the temporal fleet is just what Starfleet becomes. I I think something else is going on with temporal fleet. Because they were always shady. Yeah. In Voyager. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I, 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 my, my short answer is I think we're getting two different forces coming back. Uh, whatever's going on, I think two different forces are coming back and having some sort of war on their turf. Which, by the way, is, Daniels was uh, a temporal agent from the 31st century. Okay. Okay. Um, man. Uh, I'm very intrigued by what's going on in the future of Star Trek and how they're giving us a lot of information. I mean, we know about the temporal fleet. We know uh, <laughs> the 29th and 31st century. And now we know the 33rd century has craft mm-hmm. where it appears that humanity has splintered into two different groups that call each other different things. Um Yeah. That's all, yeah, it's just interesting that we have so much knowledge, but no knowledge, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, Man, cool. 
Yeah, it is. Pike, Pike is uh, definitely my favorite this episode. I really liked how he uh, kept doing the right thing by Ash Tyler, even after he saw that vision. Oh, yeah. I lo- I, well, I loved how they came to terms in, with each other and learned to respect one another. Like, yeah. That was all really solid. But I that was that I actually made a note about that. Like I loved that he did not act on what seemed like was going to go a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. He he made a non paranoid decision. Mm-hmm. He Even saw, though it totally looked like Ash was attacking him. <laughs> yes, and it also sounded like he was speaking Klingon as well. Yes, and he uh, did when did he, he was when he was upset when that thing was attacking him. He yeah, he was yelling in Klingon. He oh, absolutely did. Okay, I thought he just yelled out, and then through the garbled nature of the of the time uh, vortex, whatever it sounded like Klingon. Which is exciting for what that means to me for his character, like like what that could mean. Like when he's being attacked, he suddenly becomes Klingon again. Like he starts screaming and Klingon. That's cool. Okay, yeah, it is. I love Ash Tyler. Ash Tyler's a super fun character. I I do wonder if that situation would have been different if in his vision it was Ash Tyler shooting him. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder if how that would have changed the calculus of the situation for Pike. Yeah. Well. As it is, Pike shot first. That that is true. That is true. <laughs> um, let's see what else did happen. Um, everything else. Uh, yeah. So in, in the very end, Arium is 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 affected. Is infected mm-hmm. with it looks like with some sort of virus from the future. Yeah. Is she a full on? Uh, like, is she a synthetic life form? I don't know what her deal is. She has been referred to as uh, an augmented human. Oh wow! Not ge- not genetically. No, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Like technologically augmented. Yeah, and I I make that distinction because I've seen people complaining about the the eugenics thing and how that's supposed to be outlawed, and I'm like, this, this is technology. It's not. That is clearly not genetic manipulation. <laughs> they just don't like the word augment. Yeah, they changed her genes so she'd have a metal face. <laughs> yeah. Not how genes work, people. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what do you think about Leland being responsible for Burnham's uh, parents' death? That was that was a sticking point for me because it's interesting that he's responsible for Burnham's parents. But I mean, I don't know. My guess is we're going to go back to the whole nation building got a bit too messy thing from you know Cornwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess they were they maybe they were trying to instigate a war with the Klingons or something. I, I don't know, but. My big sticking point is who cares? Like why why would he why would he care if Burnham knew? Like what does that mean for him? Yeah. He's like yeah, he's yeah, like exactly. a captain on a section 31 ship and she's just some commander? Like he's like, Yeah. Uh-huh. That bothered me that like somehow Georgiou's using that for leverage. Now if she'd said uh, I know about your war crimes and I could get you like whatever brought up on charges that's fine, but using Burnham as a stick in that situation seems dumb. I mean, maybe that was the implication. Right, 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 right. I think it was. A couple episodes ago, she said something similar, and I think it was more direct, like, I know mm-hmm. your secrets, but it just seemed like a weird way to put it, for sure. I mean, it was a very much, we know that someone is watching this, and it's going to be like, oh, snap! Kind of right. way of saying it. And what if, but what if I told the main character about this? <laughs> right. It's like, I don't know. The main character would then know, I guess. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, two other kind of annoy things that annoyed me in this episode. Um, we've talked about Star Trek six and how mm-hmm. it is about members of the Federation coming to terms with the Klingons and learning to live in peace with them. Learning to live in peace with past enemies. Yeah. Um, there's a line in this where, uh, you know, Ash is trying to convince Pike that he's, he's good and he's, a, he says, the war is over. And then, um, Pike says, my problem isn't with the Klingons. And like, okay, maybe Pike's just a better man than Kirk and Spock and McCoy and like, well, I guess maybe not Spock. All of them seemed pretty, uh, they were all pretty racist in number six against Klingons, and I'm kind of annoyed that, like, Pike is so evolved <laughs> at this well, point. I don't... I, I'm okay with it, man. Here's why. Um, 
Pike's issue wasn't with the Klingons. Pike's issue was with the the guy that snapped his or snapped that doctor's neck. Sure. Um, Kirk and this, I mean, we're talking about with a situation with Pike is like there was one war that he had to sit out, and he's annoyed with. And he, you right. Know, he also never dealt with them directly. He was he right. sat out of the war. He was he was away. Kirk and I. I I think they're like Kirk, Scotty, uh, the majority of the crew. I didn't really get that from McCoy so much because he's always been the, the, the bleeding heart. But if you, most of the crew, save for McCoy and Spock, I feel were kind of racist and they weren't like, um, they weren't trying to be. I don't think they realized they were being prejudiced. And that was kind of the point. But they've also been like, in hostilities with the Klingons since they can remember. Like, this has been, like, the Cold War. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about Star Trek VI is this, it really is, like, the there's these this whole crew of woke-ass people, and they still let prejudice creep in. And the, the primary prejudice that is on display is Kirk's prejudice. Sure. But that prejudice wasn't there necessarily... I mean, maybe it was creeping in slowly over all these years of Cold War with the Klingons. It, but it, I mean, especially if you go back to Day of the Day of the Dove, like that is a different kind of Kirk. That is a very woke Kirk. But you know, by Star Trek Six, the Klingons killed his son. That's like, true. You know, he's he's endured like you know decades now of of hostilities with the Klingons that pretty much culminated in. Uh, a renegade group of Klingons, so much for honor, um, trying to steal Genesis and and killing his son. Like, I, there's there's something there, for sure. Like, he's got issues. Yeah, no, I, I'm I agree with you. I'm not I'm not saying that uh, it's like a flaw by any means, but mm-hmm. it, it, I, I was kind of like it felt a little bit like the Santa of Star Trek, like we've talked about many times, um, mm. where I kind of wish the characters hated the Klingons at this point. They just got out of a war with them, you know? Well, I um, think clearly Michael did in the in season one. Yeah, no, absolutely. But th- that's a little, like you said, that's because they directly killed someone they loved instead yeah. of just general racism, which I think, like, it's hard to tell parables about things like racism when you can't give them to your main characters. When you feel like you have to make Starfleet so woke that they can't have flaws. And I don't think that's the case on this show for the most part, but I did feel yeah. like that was a slight, uh, nod to that, I guess. Um, another thing, did, did the original series shuttles have warp? I didn't think they did. Um, we didn't have any kind of confirmation that they did. Um, we talked about it, uh, during our re- rewatch of Discovery season one. Oh, did we? <laughs> where it was like the earliest, noted version of a warp speed vessel. So I a warp speed shuttle. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. just looked it shuttle. up and, and it was, uh, it, it bothered me because I didn't remember the original series shuttles going to warp. I thought that, uh, it wasn't until next generation. They, the shuttles had warp, but in this, a section 31 shuttle had warp, which again, not a flaw. Mm-hmm. It could have been a right. section 31 thing, but I was just curious if that was another, another well, technological thing that the section 31 had. We have seen shuttles with warp that were just your standard Starfleet shuttles in Discovery have warp. Okay. But I, d- I don't remember the original series actually. Just I don't think they ever had tackled it, honestly. I, they looked just, it like, up, I looked it up, and uh, apparently there are episodes where uh, you know, they never talk about it, but mm-hmm. like shuttles, uh, are, there's like a, apparently in the Menagerie, uh, there's mm-hmm. a shuttle that chases the Enterprise. And is able to keep up with it, so you can assume oh, it has yeah. warp drive. But yeah, they never that, talk about it having warp drive. That's solid. All right. oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, cool for sure. Did you want to get to quotes? Um, I did have something else. Like I don't have many quotes. Like the only quote I actually have is is Tilly saying everything sounds better with or sounds sounds cooler with time in front of it. Yeah, I like that. Um, and especially that it was followed up with uh, getting readings off the rift. Time rift. (laughs) (laughs) The delivery of Pup from Pike there was really beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I did like um, Tyler 
kind of questioning Pike about what Michael Burnham's personal mission was. And he's like, I said it was personal. Yeah. Everything. I feel like every line Pike delivers this episode was awesome, which um, is pretty standard. Yeah, for I sure. Like. For sure. I loved Mr. Tyler. The chair outranks the badge. Mm, that was so good. So good. So good. Uh, oh, I really loved the bit where Tilly rambles about how she's not oh. supposed to swear on duty. Yeah. I thought that it was, was weird killer. that it was friggin though. I guess that's a swear word in the Star in Starfleet. I, I don't. I think they were just like confused as to her usage of it, and then she was like, "You told me, you told me I'm not supposed to swear on, oh, on duty." Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Uh, that makes sense. I, I really was confused by that sentence. Um, uh, I, I did you. What, what do you have quotes? Yeah, yeah. I got a couple more. Um, okay, but, but yeah, I, 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 I. Sorry, we dove into quotes. You said you had one more thing. Yeah, I am. I am con- like. We're going to Talos 4. Uh-huh. And I do wonder if this is the adventure that explains why going to the planet is the only death penalty left on the books. General Order 7, I believe it was. Um, because, damn it, I didn't see anything in the cage of the menagerie that would, like, elicit that kind of drastic reaction to be like, this is a death penalty for going to Talos 4. Like, there were some aliens that, like, made you think certain things were going on that weren't. I mean... That we we've seen shit like that in Star Trek before. Yeah, like, the the whole idea that it's the only place the death penalty seems really crazy. Now I can see like kind of like the Nexus. I could see mm-hmm. people like being obsessed with going there if they have a problem they want fixed in their lives or they want to live a different life. Yeah, I could see like a totally Soren situation where. He's seeking out the Talos Four so hard that he like hurts other people and stuff. Maybe they've had that problem, and so maybe then they put it on the death penalty. They give him a death mm-hmm. penalty. Um, but it, yeah, it doesn't seem like that's a really good case for having the only thing your society agrees should still be <laughs> like. Maybe if it was not the only death penalty, <laughs> like it was just one of. Well, they did say it was the only death penalty left on the books. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't quite catch what you were saying. Exactly. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, so yeah, maybe there is something different there. Yeah, the the, the Talosians though, they look weird on this discovery. Yeah, I thought they looked close enough to the original Talosians that like I'm on board. It looked like just updating of the makeup to me. I could still tell they were the Talosians. They still looked like the Talosians. Yeah, they, yeah. I I just think the Talosians looked perfect the way they were. Uh, I thought they looked cheesy in the old stuff. Mm, that's interesting um but yeah we'll see we'll see how they look next week um or yeah i guess next week so uh last couple quotes um i really liked so sorry sorry there's no way to get rid of him sir ash talking about voke Mm -hmm. and uh again it's uh, another pike quote pike says i know the feeling Mm -hmm. loved that it's really great um I liked uh, Stamet saying, talking about the time rift. He says, it just like, I loved how matter of fact this statement was. He says, it doesn't look distorted to me. It looks anomalous. (laughs) (laughs) It's so like, it's so like specific scientific language to talk about the things instead of like, I just enjoyed the specificity of that. Um, And this, I don't know, this probably is my favorite quote. It's a little sappy, but I, I still liked it. Uh, it. It was just a nice moment. He, he said, Tilly, trust the math. More importantly, trust yourself. I wouldn't let anyone, I wouldn't let just anyone beam me in and out of time. Yeah, that was fun. That was I like, good. I liked that. I like that Tilly has earned the trust of the crew and uh, is, you know, doing her thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the trivia... I don't really have a whole lot of trivia. I do have some, some like, I don't know, just kind of observations, I guess. Um, did you notice that the that there was that they showed the the tech suit for the Red Angel in the opening credits this week? Yes, I did notice that. Have they been doing that all season, and we just never noticed it? Oh no, no, they've been changing new? the they've been changing the intros like a little bit at a time oh, as see, the season unfolds. I've been skipping the intros, so that's my fault. I I never skip the intros, but I I think that's like I think it's the most gorgeous intro that Star Trek has ever had. I that's love awesome. that intro. I'm glad you like it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, and I I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. Like I love this, I love the sound effects on this show. They sound like the original series, 
And this episode, we got some really cool close-ups of the toggle switches on the shuttle uh, console. Yeah, they seem like they were driving home the toggle switches this episode. Oh, yeah. And I just, I, they they can heavy-hand that to me all day. I love that shit. Like, yeah, I yes. um, <laughs> um, I saw someone on Twitter point out uh, this little nugget. uh Pike dumping his fuel for uh, to signal for help in the shuttle, and uh, how that was kind of like Spock in the Galileo Seven, and I'd forgotten about that. So that was cool, neat. Um, but yeah, I don't, I didn't see any like actual trivia floating around this episode. That cool. was, yeah, it's always you know. gonna be tricky with these new episodes because they're not old episodes, but mm-hmm. not a lot of people have had time to think about what the trivia is. It seems like the first week, by the, when we do these episodes a little later, we there's more trivia because I guess people on Memory Alpha have had time to think about things. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, when you when you get it sooner, you get a little less. When you get it later, you get a little more. But you get it too late. No one cares. That's true. I was saying if you get it too late, no one cares. Not no one cares about your sentence. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you said if you get it too late, and then I was like, no one cares, but. Gotcha. I realized then the way you said, all right, <laughs> it sounded like I was like, no one cares, Dave. <laughs> I was like, well, well, damn, man. That's, <laughs> that's really funny. Okay. That's, cold. that's some cold shit. <laughs> it was, it was, I was just cold as ice over here. Um, all right. Anything else you want to touch on before we let these folks go? Nah, I'm good, man. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Star Trek universe podcast. Um, Appreciate you very much. Give us a rating and review wherever you can. It really helps us out. Helps us get the word out about the show. Share us on the social meds. Yeah, um, the social meds. The social meds. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Peace. Live long and prosper. To reach out to us, hit us up at StarTrekUcast.com, at StarTrekUcast on Twitter, Star Trek Universe Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for us there or send us a message at StarTrekUcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to hear more from David C. Robertson, check out the DC On Screen podcast or maladjusted.tv. And if you want to hear more from Matthew Carroll, that's me, check out the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast or go listen to my music at matthewcarrollmusic.com or anywhere you get music. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.